Well, if you've only been to ASBC the last two weeks, what you know about our church is apparently the power goes out at the beginning of each service. And we talk about things like lust and adultery. So welcome. <laughs> welcome to ASBC. I promise you we do talk about other things and occasionally our power is stable. But today we are talking about a topic which we know is somewhat controversial. It is emotive. Uh, and I just want to uh, shout out and just uh, recognise uh, Meg's last week who spoke on, on lust. That was not an easy topic uh, to cover. And, uh, and today's one is uh, of a similar vein. But I really hope, actually, that as we navigate through the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're doing, uh, this series is navigating through what uh, is considered to be one of the most significant kind of sermons, teachings, not just within Christianity, but actually uh, within history of the world, um, that we get a fresh understanding as to what Jesus was on about when he engaged in some of these really significant uh, topics. And these two verses, these two verses in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, I believe have been some of the most misunderstood and misused passages in the Bible, particularly by Christians. Okay, um, And what I want to do today is I want us to look and discover how God himself navigates this difficult area of contention that arises because at the end of the day, people are people. And relationships don't always go the way that he would design them to go. So I want to invite you, particularly if this is kind of a hot topic for you, you recognise that divorce um, and the, the principle of divorce is prevalent within your own family or your own experience or whatever that may be, I'm just going to invite you, please, please hold on. Please go with me on this journey. Um, I hope that it will provide you with some insight, some reprieve and some hope um, when maybe that hasn't been your experience um, so far. So let's turn to this passage in Matthew chapter 5 and let's just uh, unpack it uh, for ourselves. Matthew chapter 5, 31 to 32. Jesus says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And he's referring there to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It's really important to recognize. So that's what's been said. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, even just engaging in those words right now, I can, I can feel that for some people, they're like, oh, I'm feeling an ick factor right now. It's okay, but we've got to work out what's going on here. We can't just ignore it. It's in there. And not only is it in the Bible, Jesus says it, <laughs> so go take it extra seriously, right? But don't worry. If you're feeling that ick, that's okay. Because we know that divorce is a prevalent topic in our world and in our culture. And dealing with this teaching... Uh, really well and appropriately actually greatly impacts people's lives and their hearts and their experience and understanding of that. Many of us, as I mentioned before, have been affected by divorce and this passage has been used to treat people terribly, in particular women. Um, and it has been used to heap shame on men and women, um, often indirectly, which I just want to acknowledge is just really, really wrong. First of all, and we're going to unpack this, you're going to have to kind of journey with me the whole thing to understand this. I just want to pick up a few words here that Jesus particularly points out. Know what it says in verse 32. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Makes her the victim, right? And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So right from the get-go, we need to understand that this teaching was directed primarily to men. 
Okay, this is a directed to men kind of teaching right there. Because what we're going to learn is particularly in the context of the day and to a certain extent still today, men are in the power position when it comes to issues of divorce. And so what Jesus wanted to highlight from the get-go, this wasn't about enforcing a rule or certainly not about labelling people as adulterers. Right? Jesus was actually entering, entering into a system where marriage had become trivialised. Right? And this trivialisation of marriage... This kind of raising the bar of what it meant to remain committed to a covenant, what it actually did was affected the vulnerable. We've already talked a bit about justice here today in our service. What Jesus is talking about here is not about rule following. This is primarily an issue of justice and protecting the vulnerable. And what Jesus was witnessing as to how this, law, this rule had been enforced and interpreted, he basically looked particularly at the men of his day and said, this is not okay because the vulnerable are being exploited. Now we learn this in a deeper way a little bit later in Matthew chapter 19, because the Pharisees actually come to him and they ask him this question again quite directly. It says in verse 3, some Pharisees came to test him. Now when we say that word test, it's important that this is, uh, in, in the Bible, sometimes they come to trick him and try to catch him in a trap. Right? But this is just a test. It's very common for a rabbi with his particular set of interpretations for the Pharisees or for the teachers of the law to test those. I want to know where you stand in regard to this. Yeah? And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What a bizarre question to ask, right? This isn't just like, hey, give us your thoughts on divorce. This is a very specific statement, a very specific interpretation that they wanted Jesus to be tested on. They wanted to know where he landed on this issue. And this is because this was not a new debate that was going on at the time of Jesus. Okay? This question of what actually was the deal with divorce and how I went about that was an area of significant contention, particularly among two different schools of thought that were around about 50 years prior to Jesus. You see, the big issue was this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. This was the law that was given to God's chosen people as they, well, essentially as they were released from Egypt and that, that state of, of being a slave and given a brand new identity. And this verse that is contained within the Torah, in the law, this thing that the, the people wanted to abide by because they felt like abiding by it would actually bring God to light, said, oops, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house and it goes on and goes forth as to what occurs here. Now, this is a really interesting concept that exists within the law. And in fact, this certificate of divorce is known as a get. All right? In Hebrew, it's a get. You have to give her a certificate of divorce. But this question of what actually validates and constitutes a legitimate reason for divorce was debated among two different schools of thought. One was called the school of Hillel and the other was called the school of Shammai. Sometimes when we engage in Jesus' teachings, we assume he's just pulling them out of thin air. It's actually rarely the case. Jesus is usually choosing a side. There is a set of interpretations that are already circulating. People have different perspectives, and Jesus is saying, I side with this school of thought. And that's exactly the case that was going on here. 
So Jesus was weighing into an existing debate that existed about 50 years before him, and it was around these two Hebrew words, dobar and uvah. We interpret them as something indecent, but actually this is a fascinating thing. In the text that they were using, right, like the text and the, and, and the literature that they were using, there was actually a scribal error. Ooh. Where these two Hebrew words in one text, such as found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, had the words in one order, and then the Masoretic text that they used primarily, the words were in the other order. And so the question was, which order was correct? Because it made a very different interpretation of the text. Because the school of Shammai interpreted that a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her, as it is said, because he has found in her something indecent. So the emphasis for them is on that word indecent, which is that nakedness shame, right? Associated with adultery. So that's how the school of Shammai interpreted Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. Now, Hillel, the school of Hillel, says a man may divorce his wife even if she burns his food. I'm not even joking. I'm not even making this up. It says, actually, in the written uh, literature that we have nowadays, his position was if a wife burns his biscuits in anger, you can divorce her. Quite extreme perspectives. And that's because they switched the words around. They thought the emphasis should be on something indecent, meaning anything, right? And so you've got these two schools of thought, Halal and Shammai. Jesus was weighing into this debate, right? And essentially the Pharisees are asking, is it permissible to divorce a woman for every reason? As in, do you side with Halal? That is what they're asking. Do you side with Halal? Because up to this point, in every single biblical example we have of Jesus' teaching, he sides with Hillel. Every single biblical teaching we have in the scriptures, Jesus has sided with Hillel, the school of Hillel, except in this one. This is the only time that Jesus chooses to side with Shammai. And so it's really fascinating, this question, right? Because it's not just a, hey, this is what constitutes divorce. Jesus was weighing into a debate where he saw that the majority opinion at the time in the school of Hillel, right, was exploiting the vulnerable women at the time. And he said, that is not okay. You see, in Jesus' day in a patriarchal society, and especially if women were divorced, even if they had a get, the risk was that they would be left with no provision, no belonging, no care, Okay. This would force them potentially into slavery or prostitution, right? Which, by the way, Deuteronomy 24 is the very thing that they had just escaped from in Egypt, yeah? This concept of slavery. And so why? Why would a God who just freed his people from slavery want them to be perpetuating a system that would seek to oppress the vulnerable and turn them back into exactly what they had escaped from? And yet this is what it had become. People had said, oh, each and every reason? Yeah. That's good. But I'll give them a gift. They'll be okay. It was an exploitation of the vulnerable. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become 
one flesh. Jesus, they're quoting Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24. Can I do a little combo there? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's continue. Why then, they asked. These guys are genuinely interested, by the way. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? That's a fairly reasonable question. Okay, Jesus, so you said that God's intention from the beginning wasn't that this whole like divorce thing would occur. Then why would God actually place in the law that we abide by, that we love, that we live our life according to permission for a man to give his wife a get, a certificate of divorce? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. You see, again, in all these situations, the men had the power, and so the get or the certificate of divorce was what we would call nowadays an accommodation for the vulnerable women. It's an accommodation. It's an allowance. It's something that can be put in place in order to protect the vulnerable because it gave that woman another shot at marriage or support in that context. Right? That's what it was about. If this get didn't exist and the marriage still broke down, what was going to be left but a woman who was scorned, abused, pushed to the sidelines? And God says, that is not what I want the family of God to look like. It's really significant. See, Jesus knows, right, that divorce, that relationships, and the fact that they have the potential to break down is going to be part of a broken world. Jesus recognises this, and God knows it too. It doesn't mean that he likes it. God knows the soul-crushing nature of it, but it is part of the human experience. And, and when I think about the statistics around divorce, like, you know, in, in terms of, you know, rates of, of divorce in our society more generally, and even within the Christian faith, it's, it's concerning, and I have no doubt it breaks God's heart. I mean, I mean... You might even be carrying this as either a child or as a partner in one of these situations. These wounds of a broken trust right, that God never intended anyone to carry. God doesn't want it to happen, but it does happen. And he doesn't want his own accommodation, his own effort to protect the vulnerable, to then be used to exploit the vulnerable. And this is exactly what that interpretation of the law had done. The very thing that God was using to protect the vulnerable was using to exploit them. And Jesus said, that is not on. So I've been siding with Hillel in all these other areas, by the way, because his second commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. That was his rule. But this time I'm siding with Shammai and his second most important commandment, which is obey the Lord. Because I don't want to see the vulnerable exploited. And so there is this tension that God himself holds. This is so important to understanding the heart of God in a complex and broken world. This is a tension that God himself holds. The balance of ideals, which we would call conviction, right? It's like, this is so what I want for you. This is so what I want for the world. I created you for so much. And also the grace we extend in a world of imperfection. And that's what we call accommodation. God himself holds this. 
It is literally written into the text. And this is what Jesus points out. Hey, it was never supposed to be this way. There's a conviction. But God included it there in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, because he knows it wasn't always going to work out. But don't you dare use that accommodation to exploit the vulnerable. Would you believe that this is all the background of those two verses, that we can just take it face value and be like, you're an adulterer, you're an adulterer. Can you see how sickening that is if it was just to be interpreted that way? People carrying around these labels of adulterers and carrying around shame and guilt when the thing that God wanted for the most was to not be carrying around those labels, but for the people who had been exploited in those situations to actually have the chance and the possibility of renewal. Divorce, it breaks God's heart. There's no two ways about it. He doesn't want people carrying around that hurt. But at the same time, he extends this grace. Not just because he died on the cross, he built it into the fabric of a living community chosen to represent him. And so that challenges each of us as we consider what it looks like for us to navigate this world with significant conviction and a desire to see God's way occur. But at the same time, a level of accommodation that recognises that things don't always turn out the way that we hope. And I know that for each of us sitting here, everyone outside this room, we slip between the two, right? This isn't a problem to be fixed. This is a tension to be managed. Our convictions and our accommodations, though, are always to be seeking human flourishing under our Creator God, right? Wherever we fit on that spot at any given time, this is what He desires. And so Jesus concludes, So I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. That same teaching we found in Matthew chapter 5. This time, with a lot more context, around what is actually going on there. You see, if we just treat this teaching at face value, right, there is a risk that we end up exploiting the very people who are vulnerable and can be right with misinterpretation. And so Jesus challenges an interpretation of the scriptures on divorce where the vulnerable party, vulnerable party is being exploited and oppressed. It should not surprise us <laughs> that Jesus' teaching when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount is about how we treat others. That's what he's entering into. God doesn't want divorce, but this position was and it always has been from God's perspective about protecting the vulnerable. And I don't know if, the, if you find yourself in these kind of situations or these kind of conversations. I know that I've been in situations as a pastor where I've sat with people who've been in, say, DV situations, right? And they've held on to these kind of texts, right? And they've been the vulnerable, they've been the oppressed, and then these texts have been spoken over them and used to exploit them, right? And I'm not saying divorce is okay, don't hear me. I don't want you walking out of this being like, hey, the pastor said divorce is okay. It's not God's ideal. That's not what we're going with, right? But we are positioned to have these conversations with people. If we don't get our head around what Jesus was getting at when he came to these kind of teachings, we end up risking doing more harm than good. Right? We've got to understand our text. We've got to understand what Jesus was entering into. And so if people are in abuse situations, right? we need to navigate with them. What does this look like for you? All right? 
The truth is, in some relationships, trust can't always be restored in the way that it once was. And maybe nor it should be in that same form. Now, don't get me wrong, we'll get to this. Marriage covenant is important. We fight for our marriages. We fight for our relationships. We fight for our commitments. Come on. Don't miss him. But let's just be honest for a second. When we're sitting down with people, people God loves, people God is for, people who are vulnerable, how dare we use these kind of laws and rules to exploit them once again? Okay? Not on my watch. It's not how it's going down. I think about the conversation I've had with kids, right, who've been worried about the state of their parents' marriage. I've been working in youth ministry for a long, long time. I've had plenty of these conversations. It's not always what it looks like at home. People aren't always <laughs> as, as dysfunctional as maybe a kid feels. But I tell you what, that kid in that moment where they're worried about their parents getting divorced right there, they're the vulnerable ones. You know? It's like, come on. Come on. Divorce is soul-crushing to go through, and God doesn't want that for us. But let's not miss the point. And so Jesus challenges the interpretation of the scriptures where marriage had been trivialized. And that's the second thing he does. Jesus says marriages and covenants, whatever that looks like, covenant should be fought for. That's how God created it from the beginning. Which is why Jesus speaks against the trivialization of divorce. And we see that in our society too. And I divorce a woman for any reason. Right? So weird how the conversation, the question hasn't changed. Maybe both parties have permission to ask the question now, a little bit more. But interestingly, the question hasn't changed. And so when it comes to covenant, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to these committed spaces, we have to remember that Jesus' way is to be other-seeking rather than self-seeking. And Jesus even highlights the fact, this is, oh, sorry, I'm referring to go back, sorry, I didn't have the text there. In Matthew chapter 5, back in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the fact that then a woman who marries another man, right, you know, like as in, so, so she's got the get, and then a man who marries the woman then commits adultery, right? This isn't about women who have been divorced carrying around some sort of label and be like, don't marry me, otherwise you're going to be an adulterer. Like, but can you see how we could interpret it that way? Jesus was speaking to the men, right, the men who had the control, and he was saying, if you continue to trivialise divorce, you are contributing to the perpetuation of a system, right, where people's value is diminished. It's like, step up. This is what he was saying to the men. You control this situation in his context. You control the system. Take responsibility for it. And I recognise that in our context, the power dynamic can differ, but the same lesson is true, whether it be for men or for women. What are you going to do? Are you going to perpetuate this dysfunction or are you going to demonstrate a commitment? And Jesus wants us to hold on to that as well. And this is a challenge for all cultures. Some cultures don't have the same kind of institution of marriage that maybe you're familiar with, right? And again, we've got to ask the question, what does it look like then to not trivialise our divorce, trivialise commitment? See, marriage is an intense experience of dying to self and serving the other. And love is hard for those of you who have experienced marriage. They're broken and selfish and stubborn. And we recognise that reconciliation requires two parties and it's not always going to work out. Divorce should not be taken lightly and it should never be used 
to oppress others. Now, if this kind of come on you pretty hard, check out the disciples' response. The disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry him. Does that not illustrate the state of affairs in which Jesus was entering into this discussion? Jesus, you're serious? Oh, gosh. Wow, better not to marry them. Now, remember, we actually only know that one of the disciples was married, by the way. It's Peter, had a mother-in-law. We don't know about the state of the other disciples. Most likely they were quite young. But the truth is they were like, what, better not to marry? No, 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 that Jesus, the bar is too high. I can't believe you sided with Shammai. Come on, Hillel was our guy, right? He's like, no, no, no. And he continues, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So to the disciples who are in that position of power and privilege, he says, well, you don't like the cost of protecting the vulnerable or valuing the covenant? There is another option, and it starts with the letter E. (laughs) Jesus doesn't pull punches. He doesn't pull punches. That's what he's saying. The disciples are like, you've raised it's better not to marry then. Gosh, if I can't divorce my wife for any and every reason, there is another option. I love it. Jesus is just like, come on. You guys in your position of power and privilege, you've got to deal with this. The truth is he's saying either way it's going to be hard. Marriage is hard, singleness is hard. But this whole teaching on divorce is not about labels and status. It is about valuing people, especially the vulnerable. It wasn't about heaping blame and pain upon people who have gone through divorce. And it certainly wasn't about divorced women carrying a red flag for men to avoid future adultery. Okay? While Jesus says God desires us to fight for our commitments, he also has a deep heart to protect the vulnerable. And as we hold this tension of ideal and accommodation, not just in this area, but potentially in many other areas of our world, we ought to develop this same heart. And so the question I leave you with today to consider is, how are you holding this tension? How are you holding that ideal and conviction of God, seeking after it, pursuing it, but at the same time, just as God does, allows a level of grace to meet people who have been hurt and affected by a broken world where they are at, so that they have another chance at hope and are no longer pushed to the edges. Good question, eh? We thought we were just talking about divorce, eh? <laughs> uh, let me pray. Jesus, our God, you, you weigh in. You weigh into area, areas of injustice that we see, and we recognise that, um, that whether it be divorce or whether it be other issues around us, you know, this tension still exists. And so, God, we pray that we would be able to balance that level of conviction that seeks after your ideal and extend grace. Well, particularly for those people who maybe don't feel safe stepping into a church or into a Christian community because of what people might think, or maybe because this passage has been used against them, I want to pray, God, 
but just as you with Jesus, that you would invite people into your heart and your way, your forgiveness, your possibility, your kingdom. May we be a community that does likewise. Would be the kind of community that surrenders our power in order to protect the vulnerable. And maybe it means getting a little uncomfortable at times. But God, I know the cost. And so God, I want to pray that a result of teachings like this, Lord, that you would use us as a healing people, a restoring people, that remind people of your heart for them. We recognise we won't always see justice. But at the same time, God, we want to be a force for justice until true justice will come to completion. Under you. In your name. Amen.